anything in life that's worthy is going to come with risk. Having differences of opinions and having different viewpoints will only make your company better. So you're looking for things where the conventional wisdom is wrong. That's sort of the holy grail. The SME Empower Podcast. Dream big, act bigger. Three, two, one, and we're live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the SME Empower Podcast. I am your host, Max Kituba, and I'd like to officially welcome Malumola Mokoteli. He is a founder and CEO of Cashful, one of the most innovative financial technology companies coming out of South Africa. So welcome to the show. We are very happy to have you. Hi, Max. Thanks for thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic, fantastic. So um, do you mind giving us a brief intro into who Malomola is and how you got where you are today? Cool. So my name is Malomola Mkodedi, and I come from a background in commerce and software engineering. Uh, shortly after graduating in 2019, I founded Cashflow as a mobile payments platform, uh, researching and identifying opportunities to bridge the gap between underbanked communities and traditional financial institutions, uh, which led me to uh, open banking. Oh, um, thanks for that intro. Um, so could you tell us a little more about what Cashful does, um, maybe uh, a brief intro into the problem you're solving, um, why you started it in particular, why you chose a space, and how it morphed into what it is today. Um, I'm sure there were some changes along the way, as you know, all entrepreneurs have. Right. So uh, many businesses in South Africa uh, provide products that require their customers' financial data to function. Uh, however, banks do not have public APIs yet uh, for businesses and developers to consume. And that causes issues when they're trying to verify and onboard new customers. So without this info, uh, financial services such as savings, uh, lending and insurance cannot be delivered optimally to customers. So at Cashflow, we're providing open banking APIs that enable businesses to connect a customer's bank account to any web or mobile app to access real-time banking data. And through our APIs, customers are able to securely link their financial accounts, uh, share their bank data such as uh, statements, transactions, and balances uh, in seconds with other businesses. Oh, that's that's an incredible uh, business model. It's definitely something I have not heard of before. So was that the initial idea when you started Cashflow or is that what it morphed into? So initially we went into mobile payments yeah. uh, for lower income households mm -hmm. and we found a deeper pain point in access to credit. And um, that led us to trialing with alternative data and behavioral and, and taking a behavioral approach to credit scoring mm -hmm. and ultimately we focused on becoming a data company that 
basically tries to leverage uh, non-traditional financial data and traditional financial data to either provide a means to access credit for underbanked consumers mm-hmm. or enable to, uh, other businesses to uh, you know build on top of our tech stack so did you um always think that you would be a founder um like let's say five years ago before software engineering i mean let's say even be further beyond that uh, before software engineering school um was it always your dream to be a founder and was this always your vision i think we've all read rich dad poor dad at some stage in our lives <laughs> So, I think it's a rite of passage at this point. <laughs> right. So that sort of sparked the entrepreneurial journey uh, within. And my first, I would say my first endeavor was in e-commerce, but it provided little satisfaction to me as it had no real meaningful uh, impact towards anybody. So I sort of looked around for a industry that I could potentially disrupt while while enjoying my work and uh, finances basically be- become my passion while bridge- bridging it with technology. Well, um, I think there's a, a huge opportunity for uh, that in Africa because, you know, access to um, finance is still, you know, largely a, an issue and there's definitely a lot of opportunity there. So as your startup has grown and evolved, um, what have you learned about building distribution and communicating the value that you provide to the world? Hmm. So I would say the first thing is uh, localization is crucial. Uh, Typical strategies that we read read upon on on google such as b2b uh, marketing guides and how to generate leads etc etc those strategies typically might work in a developed economy but they're they don't mesh as well uh, down here so a one-size-fits-all approach would need rethinking Uh, storytelling for impact is also crucial we found that the power of storytelling to engage and connect on an emotional level creates a compelling narrative that the target market can resonate with. And lastly, uh, keeping a close ear on the ground, uh, we found it quite important to maintain continuous feedback loop uh, to actively iterate based on feedback and testing, mm-hmm. which allowed us to refine and uh, narrow down on our value proposition. Oh, that's um, that's quite interesting. Um, so, how do you think about the feasibility of um, paid advertising, let's say on social media, for organic growth of a business's um, customer acquisition, for instance? So, it it depends on the business model. If you're B2C, that might be the way to go uh, because the sales cycle for uh, B2C model is shorter than uh, B2B model. There, there are less decision makers and B2C sales are typically driven by emotions 
Um, so, yeah, it depends on the model. If you're in B2C, it could help with getting some early users, uh, whether they provide feedback or you just need somebody to try out your, your solution early on. Uh, for B2B, you might look at something else. You might look towards content marketing, try drive organic growth, uh, which is typically uh, generally the, the best way to go. So it's not a one-size-fits-all approach uh, in this case as well. And each business model will have its, its own suited uh, approach towards paid or organic marketing. Okay, that's, um, that's a great insight. Just asking, because um, you, you know, do B2B, um, your model is B2B primarily, which means, um, is it important uh, for you to have a sales team? Like, you're a developer yourself, you're an engineer, uh, you're a product person, right? So a lot of product people don't have, um, uh, they, they don't feel as if that sales is important or learning about that or having a distribution model early on is quite important. Uh, so what do you think about that? Yeah, I think uh, to drive sustainable business growth <clears throat> as an early stage uh, FinTech, you need a experienced and persistent sales team in place, uh, particularly in the Department of Business Development. So you need to nurture those relationships, maintain them and retain them um, because it's harder to it's harder to buy back a somebody who's who's lost who you who you've lost business with than to acquire them acquire them in the first place so yeah uh what i've seen from most uh startups in in my in my stages to propel that growth they need a solid uh, sales team to to nurture those early relationships. Okay, that's um that's really insightful. Just because I have been studying uh, Peter Thiel. I don't know if you're familiar with Peter Thiel. Um, he's the writer of uh, Zero to One, which is also a really popular entrepreneurship book. He uh, was, of course, one of the founders of PayPal, uh, and. I don't know, I forgot like the company it runs right now, but it's um it's a defense software company that's extremely valuable. Uh early investor in Facebook as well, by the way. And he said that um in his book he was arguing that sales is something that um is actually uh a di a differentiating factor as well. Um you could have a really amazing product. But if you don't figure out the distribution of that, um, you're, you're missing out on a key differentiator uh, that could potentially give you a, a moat. So I was just really thinking about that a lot this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I am familiar with him. And uh, I think his book, Zero to One, has a lot of insightful uh advice for first-time founders we don't need to make the same mistakes uh, if they can be avoided uh, I, I found that uh, his book has quite a number of best practices to follow early on yeah that's um that's as good that um 
that we have that in common. Um, we probably should have contacted his team and told him to, you know, give me a bit of an affiliate revenue for this free promotion. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it's a good book. So um, I noticed that one of the products that you have or um, the products that you offer provides no-code financial data tools um, for startups and growing businesses. Um, so what do you think about the importance of access to real-time financial data for um, businesses and the role of no-code in achieving that at scale? Uh, so for one, to empower financial inclusion and accessibility, our core thesis for open banking is banking was built for a world that didn't envision the internet. And as a result, most things we do in our financial lives are difficult. They require you to walk into a branch, talk to a banker, uh, print tens of pages of bank statements to apply for a loan. So at our core, we're building infrastructure that lets you pro programmatically interact with your bank account without coding experience. This lets businesses build on top of our stack <clears throat> quickly and efficiently while keeping costs to the end user low. Okay, that's um that's really um fascinating. You notice that right now there's a lot of um there's essentially a no code movement and software is eating the world in, in very interesting ways. But just to follow up on that, um you were talking about you had a thesis on open banking um going into um, cash flow. And um, I'd like to just ask, what do you think is the importance of having a thesis before you, you know, kind of enter into any industry that, you know, let's say any other founder might go into? And how long did, did, how long did it take you to figure out um, the thesis that, you know, you, that you eventually took up for cash flow? So I think the thesis is less important. Uh, I think what's more important is the testing because anybody can have an idea or a hypothesis or a thesis, but <clears throat> to truly build upon it, you need a test, you need to talk to the users or potential customers, you need to do some research, you need to validate the idea at the end of the day uh, and prove that there's a use case for, for, for your thesis. So we, we, spent, we spent quite a bit of time uh, with each thesis as, as we'd iterate. So uh, we started with the idea for mobile payments uh, targeting lower income households. So we essentially wanted to lower the cost of transacting for them. And that market quickly became saturated locally which is how we pivoted into alternative credits uh, as we found a deeper pain point uh, upon doing further research and talking to potential customers there and this was a b2b approach and uh, you know we've been building a data set ever since we've been meddling fiddling around with with a bit of ai and machine learning to uh, you know try to try to bank the un un underbanked and that's brought us to open banking, which is basically 
opened up the number of use cases for our products and services that are building beyond credit. Wow, um, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, uh, so in all of this, um, in your opinion, um, as as a company and as you know, a leader of, of a company like that, do you find it um important for you to have a mission? Um, that drives you somewhere or is it just is profit enough of a motivation just to create uh, something of value for the world and that in and of itself is um, something that is sort of its own mission you know just to create something of value that people are willing to pay for so what do you think about that yeah so if if I truly placed profits over over value or impact i would have stayed in e-commerce mm-hmm. <laughs> however the the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is knowing that we're building something that will truly impact how people transact and how they interact with uh, traditional financial services so whether it's savings lending insurance or personal wealth there's a use case for each subsector of uh, the, tr- the traditional financial industry that open banking can impact. So w- what we're really looking to drive is inclusivity and, and accessibility. Wow, inclusivity and accessibility. That's a very inspiring um, worldview to have. So um, just advice for me, um, this is a bit of a personal thing, but you can advise me in front of the audience, which is um, I'm in the early stages of something right now as well that I'm working on. And I was really thinking a lot about the importance of a thesis as well. And uh, you um, told us that the best way is, you know, uh, to keep testing and iterating on it. And I do agree. But when you're at a really early stage, do you think that it's important to uh, start talking to um, users or potential clients before you have a product? Or should you have a prototype and let that be the leading um, sort of conversation starter? Right. So I would say if I were to do it all over again, I would... I would look for um, a decent market to to go into and narrow it down to a niche that is preferably scalable. From there, I would I would try my best to talk to as many people as I can and try to so so the types of questions and interviews you conduct will determine the type of product you will build. So you really want to make sure you're asking high quality questions in your interviews. Uh, y Combinator has a few uh, has a has a few YouTube videos that are free to watch and cover this quite extensively, as well as as well as on their website. And from there, you want to wireframe early on, whether it's with a piece of pen and paper or whether you're using Figma or any other online tool for prototyping then you can worry about the features and 
and, and benefits to integrate into your version one. Mm. Now, the the key thing there is to focus on the the main problem, the core of what you're solving, before worrying about secondary and tertiary services. So, if you're doing mobile mobile payments, you want to worry about the core of mobile payments, which is to transact. From there, you can worry about bill payments. You can worry about uh, peer-to-peer lending. You can worry about savings after validating your core product. So you really just want to focus on the core product itself. It doesn't need to look neat. It doesn't need to be uh, polished or refined early on. It just needs to work for, for what is intended to as per your feedback. Okay, that's um, I think that's amazing advice. Um, thanks for that. I think it's it's important to just uh, really strike while the iron is hot. So you should obviously have those high quality questions um in the beginning, but also be really quick to convert that into a prototype that you can test and iterate and just try not to fall in love with your prototype. I actually did learn that from uh, Y Combinator. Um. um I consume a lot of their content. So thank you, my Combinator, for that. And um, so just moving on, could you talk to us a little about um, just the space in general, the fintech space, and um, your experience in in that industry? Because, you know, I understand there's obviously good parts, there's not so good parts, maybe regulations a bit um, heavy. And what is the larger opportunity in fintech um, in Africa right now? in the future cool cool so the first thing is the market is constantly evolving a few years ago we had flutterwave we had paystack to disrupt the or rather create infrastructure for other businesses to to transact and accept payments which was largely absent across Africa, I would say excluding South Africa because it's banking, it has highly developed banking infrastructure. Um, so the other thing is FinTech is probably the most popular and funded industry in Africa. Uh, that's based off re- reports I've read from Disrupt Africa, um, Venture burn. A few tech blogs have supported this with their data, um, and more VCs are entering into the space uh, from abroad and locally. I know we don't have as many funding opportunities as uh, more developed economies such as the U.S. and parts of Europe, but the space is evolving, and more funding is pouring in slowly but surely. Uh, so there's there's plenty of opportunity left. I think payments, the payments industry has been has been uh, tended to quite extensively. So there's plenty of other uh, industries within within finance that that would benefit from a few solutions such as lending and and insure tech as well as savings. So 
I'm quite excited to see where that goes. Open banking itself is a space that's morphing and growing. I think um, there's only 43 banks that provide APIs across Africa out of 700 banks. I may be misquoting the figures. However, uh, that space itself, as new as it is, is growing rapidly with potential to scale beyond our continent as well. Wow, um, that's um, that's amazing to hear, and um, I'm sure um, someone is inspired somewhere to enter the fintech space. So um, now, being many years into the startup game, um, what are the things that you've learned that you would never have expected to know when you were starting out? Well, the the first thing is probably that you don't need to. Uh, you don't need funding to become successful. I've met a few bootstrapped founders across the across my journey, along my journey, and you know they really opened my eyes to the power of uh, you know funding your business through your customers and retaining as much equity in your business as I know VCs won't want to hear this as possible. Uh, the other thing is it's also significantly significantly harder to raise in Africa than other markets. And this is probably due to the fact that you need traction compared to other markets to fundraise. So if you're looking at a typical VC in Africa that focuses on pre-seed, the pre-seed ticket sizes might be somewhere along the lines of hundred thousand dollars to maybe five hundred thousand dollars and mm. within that pre-seed round they, they would be they'll typically be looking for early signs of traction or revenue or users uh just basically something that that's beyond ideation and in the traditional sense of pre-seed that isn't the case so i'd be i'd be keen to see how vcs rethink that in their own context is as, as to how they define terms like pre-seed or first checks and you know um yeah i think you just have to be in the space to to learn to learn along the way but there's probably much more for me to learn and you just have to take it one day at a time and be as flexible as you can Wow, um, that's um, that's just great advice and um, definitely enlightening. So, um, what do you think about this new hype behind AI, and how do you think it affects your industry or startups in general, if at all? I think, I think AI has its use cases, yeah. uh, particularly in finance. Um, one use case I. I off the top of my mind is improved risk assessment and uh, fraud prevention using machine learning. So, you know, through, through real-time data, uh, we can monitor cash flow, revenue, and expenses, reducing the risk of financial instability, especially in Africa where economic conditions can be volatile. Uh, having instant access to financial data uh, running models to determine uh, future income or credit worthiness, for example, 
provide could provide immense value to businesses looking to tap into the space while lowering the cost to end users. Uh, another thing is enhanced customer experience through chatbots. Uh, AI would typically lower the cost of services like insurance, which we've seen in South Africa. We've got an insurer uh, called Naked, as well as Pineapple. They focus on, they leverage AI. And what happens is a user through their onboarding experience to claims would interact with a chatbot. So less human intervention in this scenario would translate to lower premiums. So I would say AI has its use cases, its strong use cases, especially in the FinTech space. However, I don't foresee it replacing creative work despite uh, products from ChatGPT, uh, sorry, OpenAI and the, and the likes providing uh, tools that can generate images based on text input. Um, I think ultimately creative work will remain creative, but in terms of internal processes and, and automation, AI has its place to an extent. Yeah, um, I agree with that. I think AI is really just a tool that can, um, you know, help people who are trying to accomplish tasks to accomplish them, you know, more efficiently. It probably um, open up new opportunities, just like, um, you know, when Photoshop came from the first time, for the first time, um, basically, you know, people were like, you know, this is the death of uh, photography. You know, um, it's the death of an art form, or special effects, um, you know, CGI with uh, film. But really, these um, technologies just expanded the scope of what you can achieve within those mediums. And um, and yeah, so maybe AI will will um, will lead to something like that. Uh, I think we're a little bit of a ways away from AGI, but let's cross that bridge when we get there. So since you were undoubtedly doing such a difficult thing, how do you stay focused, motivated, and level-headed? Um, I think each and every founder will have a different answer to this. But uh, in my case, I am passionate about what I do. And waking up every morning doesn't feel like a task because I look forward to each day and the challenges it brings. I try to balance, and this is something founders and the entrepreneurial space don't discuss much, is a founder's mental health. Um, I try to exercise as much as I can, read, personal development books, uh, meditate where I can, and try to stay as focused as I can through journaling. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a mix of many, many things that form, form into one. But um, yeah, I, I'd say that's what gets me through it. Um, yeah, um, that's really interesting. I think that all founders, um, especially, you know, if you're, 
in the space as a, that's as intense as entrepreneurship, you need um, ways to sort of keep you grounded mentally. I think mental health is something very important to talk about. Uh, we have a founder who came on, um, a friend of mine, David, he, he boxes. So basically, um, uh, being an entrepreneur, give him um, the energy to pursue boxing on the side, which I think is amazing. And um, yeah, myself, I do I do a lot of art. Um, I'm an artist as well on the side, you know, making music um, or creating generally is something that just keeps me very calm. And uh, yeah, so I think it's, it's important to have that um, for anyone listening in the audience. So um, what kind of world do you hope to create through your entrepreneurial endeavors? Um, so I'd say promoting inclusivity and equality are my biggest goals. Uh, I try to create solutions that bridge gaps where whether it's tackling accessibility or affordability, as long as the outcome creates and contributes to a more sustainable tomorrow. There isn't much to disrupt in most African markets. So my key focus is on building the infrastructure that will empower other businesses and individuals to operate efficiently. Wow, that's, a, that's an amazing uh, mission and worldview. And I um, applaud you on that. Um, that's usually the traditional last question. So I'd like to just officially thank you for coming on. I have enjoyed our conversation a lot and I hope that um, you and Cash will achieve um, what you are trying to achieve. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it was a pleasure coming on and hope to, hope to do this again with you sometime in the future. Hello everyone and thank you for making it to the end of the podcast. I apologize. Uh, my voice is a bit weak. Um, I've been having a cold recently, but I appreciate that you made it this far. I hope you learned as much as I did from Mahlomola. Yeah, so until next time, everyone.